When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is an Ian special report. Now reporting. The very handsome Jewish man, Peter Rosenberg. Ian's at six. When the clock struck six, it meant one thing. Can I just say one thing, Don? Sure. Um, you're not done. It stands uh, but it's Don. not. Now, from the ESPN New York News Desk, here's Rosenbaum or whatever that guy's name is. One of your show is number one. So many people are off this week that it has fallen to me, Anthony Pusick, to bring you ENN today. Welcome to ENN on this August 8th, Monday evening. little Thank applause you. for you. Thank you, Dan. I'd like to start off by saying good evening to Dan. Oh, geez. And I'd like to say good evening to Mike Tannenbaum, who, while he has not been a host much on this show, he's been on DPH on Rothenberg plenty of times. The Michael K. Show is stable during the football season. Of course, we have something that can embarrass Mike. I'm not sitting here with, you know... Glass color roses. One of our favorites here on the K Show. Whenever somebody has some slip up and messes up the words, we will find it, we will cut it, and we will bring it to you. Immortalize so, it. Good evening to you, Mike. And, what, uh, let's... What, 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 what's worse, that transgression or cutting Danny Woodhead? <laughs> I, you know what? We'll find out soon. We will, we will find out soon. Let's, let's check in on our caller from earlier. It's great to be a Met fan right now. <laughs> I wonder if he got that thing cleared up yet. That was very troubling. And we have to bring back something that happened on the show on Friday. You guys talked about Aaron Rodgers and his escapades to find enlightenment with certain uh, drugs. Let's see how Don feels about Aaron Rodgers. And what better way to work on, for me and my own, this is my own belief, but what better way to work on my mental health than to to have an experience like that? I mean, the best, the the greatest. Stop. Please, dear God in heaven. We had like two clips from the podcast Aaron Rodgers was on when he was talking about the use of psychedelics to enlighten him and Ayahuasca. become a better person. Ayahuasca, thank you. And uh, that is uh, that was the result from Don. So always nice to hear from him, even if he's off. You ever toy around with that Ayahuasca stuff? No, no, I can't say that. Yeah, I, I steer clear with that. No, I, I can't say that. Yeah, you don't want to go there. No. Um, but would that we, be a violation of the good karma policy? I think it I would. believe so. I, uh, any any policy, I think. Disney, I don't Disney. think Disney Disney would frown down upon. I don't that, think I Mickey think. would Mickey wouldn't take too kindly. Yeah, to no, that. definitely not. No, no, not at all. Hey, hey guys, how about we start where we started uh, in the beginning of the show with the New York Mets, and why not? Because they won four or five games against the Braves. They had now have a six and a half game lead in the NL East, and arguably, in my opinion, this was the most meaningful win yesterday, the five two victory. Why? Jacob DeGrom, five and two-thirds innings pitched, 12 Ks on 76 pitches. Here he is talking about what it was like to be back on the city field mound. Stepping out there was a little bit emotional, um, you know, big ovation. Kind of took a second, took it all in, and then, you know, tried to focus and try to take care of business. I mean, obviously, this is exactly what you wanted from DeGrom. Uh, he looked pretty good in his first start. His second start against the Braves, a team you want him to beat, and he comes out and he, and he fans 12 in little under six innings. Brendan Nimmo, are you surprised that Jacob DeGrom looks this good? Yeah, it's probably sad that I'm not that surprised. Like, he is 
unbelievably talented and unbelievably motivated. And I think I've said this about him before. If, it, if you were playing Tilly Wings, he would want to beat you. So he's extremely competitive, and it fuels his desire to, to be the best. And then you put Max next to him, and you get those two together, and it's, I mean, it's quite a recipe. So I am so happy for him that he is back and that he is healthy and that he's throwing but i'm not too surprised i will say i was a little surprised when i saw the 102 that was a little surprising but i'm not surprised that he's that he's dominant that's just pretty much all he's done his whole career dan i'll ask you i mean there's been a lot of discussion on this show on plenty of shows about jacob Degrom's velocity buster only has been on this show saying that it would be in Degrom's best interest or some believe it would be in Degrom's best interest to slow down a little bit, ease up on that velocity. Even Brandon Nimmo just said he was surprised to see 102. Is he surprised because it's something that he doesn't think DeGrom should be doing anymore? Do you have the same concerns that other people do about DeGrom's velocity? If, if you're going to tell me directly that that's the correlation between him and staying healthy and getting injured, then I say sure, but... But you don't know. But we don't know that. Don't know. Do the doctors know that? Right? I, don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, it just comes so easy and so natural to him to do this. It's hard. I mean, everybody says dial it back, dial it back. Well, what if he can't? Right? Yeah. If it's, I mean, he's, he's a freak of nature. Yeah. Right? I mean, think, think of Henry Rowan Gardner. Right? Think about how easy and how natural it was for him after he suffered that injury. And he could just throw the ball a million miles an hour. Then he couldn't throw the ball, and nobody wanted anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. Right? He had to resort to trickery. Yeah. But no, in all seriousness, I mean, this the guy, think about missing all that time and not stepping on a big league mound for over a year. And basically pick up right where you left off. It's insane. Now, Mike, I'm sure there's instances where you may have told a player or somebody, hey, listen, if, if you do this, you'll be a better player. Or if you cut back on this, you'll be a better player. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure you've had some pushback in some of those instances, correct? So is it possible that people have told DeGrom, hey, listen, you really got to cut back on your velocity here. It'll probably keep you healthier for a longer period of time. And he's just a competitor where he says, I have to give 110% every time. He's not able to turn to dial it back thinking he might slip up in his in his production? No, there's like a time and place for baseball, for stars in the NFL. Like, you don't need your stars to, you know, be diving for first downs um, and putting them in harm's way, like certainly in preseason. Or, like, there's parts of games where, like, sliding and live to fight another down is just sensible. So I would sit on the same t- side of the table, guys, as DeGrom and say, hey, look, like, the object of the exercise is for you to be pitching your best baseball in October – so let's use the data, let's use the facts, what do the facts tell us, and then let's arrive at the conclusion together. What was the what was the record that he set yesterday? Most strikeouts in, in someone's first two hundred games of his career. Is that what yeah, it is? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was I mean it it's been pretty incredible and I know he's missed a lot of time, but you just think about with two hundred starts, what he's accomplished, how many more wins he should have in those years where even hey, even the first start that he had back, where he pitched very well and the Mets couldn't score and that's been that's been the story, but this offense seems to be a little bit better for him. Pete Alonso also excited about Jacob Degrom. Super happy that uh, that he's feeling healthy, and I mean he had some incredible incredible moments today. I mean he was I mean he was dominant from the start and and carried out for what we needed him to do, and it's going to be really exciting to see uh, when he gets fully built up and thrown like 100 110 pitches like towards the towards the end of the year. I mean it's going to be really exciting to see how he's going to take over a game from uh, from the pitching standpoint. But I mean he did an incredible job for us, throwing up a ton of zeros and giving the offense uh, a chance to do some good work for him. And, of course, after trotting out Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom on the last two days, uh, the Mets now return with Chris Bassett tonight in City Field against Justin Dunn, another pitcher in Chris Bassett who has been pretty good for the Mets. And 
I think there's something to be said about the fact that, yes, the Mets won four or five against the Braves, but I think it's the way that they won because with Max Scherzer being as dominant as he was and Jacob deGrom being as dominant as he was, if you can guarantee me that those two can pitch at their best in the playoffs, who is going to beat the Mets in a seven-game series? It's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough. You know, the, 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 that's a situation you want to take your chances with. That's why they. That's how they drew it up. That's why they made the investment in Scherzer that they did. And look, whatever happens with the Grom at the end of the season, you deal with it. You know, he says he's going to opt out. You worry about that then. But for now, it was going all in to win a championship this year. And and let's be honest, you know, they're on that short list right now, Anthony, of, of you know, two or three teams, I think, that are ahead above everybody else in baseball to get that trophy when it's all said and done. And Mike T mentioned it earlier, along with having two of the best stars in baseball, they also have the best closer in baseball at the present moment. And when you hear this song, as a Met fan, Mr. Met plays the trumpet, there's a lot going on. I know Alan was clowning Mr. and Mrs. Met playing the yeah, trumpet Yeah, Alan didn't earlier. like that. I heard that before but, we and, got on the air I, today. I can understand that, but you know what? It's fun. Let's have some fun. And even the manager, Buck Showalter, said that he can't look away. I was going to go get something to drink, whatever. I might have been going to the bathroom before the ninth inning. And yesterday I said, you know what? I think I'm going to stay here and watch this. Okay, I don't care how you feel about all that stuff. That's pretty good. And I stayed there. I didn't know all that stuff went on with Jake starting his outing. Nobody, you guys didn't tell me about that with the simple man thing. So that was all new to me. I won't miss it. I need to get the lyrics up there. But enjoy that. Still made the bathroom. I'll tell you. That's a little too much information. Buck was into it. I mean, Buck tells you, you know, a little bit of his bladder habits and whatnot. But, you know, all kidding aside, the folks on SNY, my buddy uh, John DeMarsico and company, the crew behind the scenes, they really let that one, you know, sometimes you don't even have to speak. Let the pictures tell the story. When DeGrom took the mound at the beginning of that game, Simple Man by Leonard Skinner, that's his, like, kind of hype song that he uses to warm up. They just let the crowd give them a standing ovation. The announcers didn't talk, and they got there. They showed you the whole thing. They pumped the song over the television that you can hear. And then, you know, I mentioned it earlier, with Diaz trotting in from the bullpen for that ninth inning with the, the trumpets blaring. I'm, I'm looking it up right now, what the, the hit is up to. like when they Because apparently, like, nationwide, like, you know, people don't really know the, the Diaz thing. And then, you know, now they're just catching on to it now. 6.6 million views, Anthony. Wow. 6.6 million views. The the one-minute clip of, of Edwin Diaz strolling in from the bullpen in the ninth inning with the trumpets in the song yesterday. Six and a half million views. When you're the best closer in baseball and you could strike out three people in an inning, that's what you're going to get. And you could do it in New York. Exactly. Yes. And there's not many people that could say they do that. And for, as, for as consistently as, let's say, somebody like Mariana Rivera did it. Now, of course, Edwin Diaz has had his struggles, but this is one of the most dominant, dominant as probably even in Seattle that we've seen him. Like, like I said earlier, like we could maybe do this like throughout the week and think maybe put a list together of like best redemption stories of New York athletes. Not because of like, you know, off the field problems or so on and so forth, but just in terms of performance. Like Diaz was, you know, vilified and struggled his first couple of years here. Now all of a sudden he's like an icon for crying out loud. Like just that complete 180 doesn't happen that often. Fans here are forgiving, Mike, you know that. Oh yeah, forgive and forget. <laughs> It'd be nice to forgive and forget, but in his case, that's what's happening. Yeah, if you listen to the K show, there's not a lot of forget. And speaking of forget, I'd like to forget uh, the Yankees' trip to St. Louis this weekend. They were swept by the Cardinals. They've lost five in a row. Um, obviously, no Stanton, no Rizzo. It's his birthday today. Whose birthday? Anthony Rizzo. So How's happy his back? Birthday. Yeah, that'd be great if if he could if he could uh, if he could be healthy for uh, for this series against the Mariners. That'd be fantastic. But of course, you want him healthy. 
Uh, one, one other shout-out, speaking of birthdays, today is my son's birthday. Hey. He's 16. Oh, happy birthday. And, and in the state of Florida, that makes him eligible to drive. That's why I'm in New York. And, uh, <laughs> I love you, buddy. I don't think you're listening. Uh, but uh, well, could be listening. My, uh, my uh, baby son is uh, 16 years old today, which is uh, frightening. On What's a lot his name? Of Jacob. Happy birthday, Jacob. Happy Not, birthday to Jacob. To Not, be 16 once again. Yeah. Wow. Just 12 minutes into the podcast. We'll send it to him. He'll be able to see it. Don't All right, worry about it. Um, so he's able to drive. Have, have we started to research a vehicle yet or no? Oh, boy. Yeah. That's why Mike's up here. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to earn some uh, extra cash here so we could go get him the car that he wants. So he has to, you know, like one of the things we do in our house, guys, is you have to earn your dessert eligibility. You have to do one nice thing for somebody else every day to earn your dessert. There are no free lunches. So he has to also earn his card. Now, he happens to be a very good student, good athlete. Don't want to brag too much here, but um, he's done enough to earn that. But, yes, you actually have to earn your dessert eligibility every night. Well, the, the, the car is a little bit more than the dessert, so that's a lot of desserts. He's going to have to do a lot of nice things. He's almost have to be uh, eligible for sainthood to get the car then, right? <laughs> when Dad's a former GM, it's a negotiation. This every, is how it every, goes. Everything's <laughs> a negotiation. What's a tougher negotiation, the Revis contract or Jacob and his new car? What do you uh, think is going to happen? Yeah, well, if you met my Penn State-educated wife, that would be a simple answer she's ferocious <laughs> so we know how that one's gonna go there but happy birthday to jacob 16 god i wish i was 16 again i wish i was 16 again that's um, true then what are you like 18 yeah basically <laughs> yeah i could drive um frankie montas uh first start for the yankees did not go as planned uh he pitched three innings gave up six runs had a lead which was uh which was not something that the Yankees had a lot this weekend, but they were able to uh, get some hits off Adam Wainwright and they, and Montas unfortunately didn't let it stick and I'll I'll give him a pass. I mean he's had a rough ten days. He was put on the bereavement list right after the trade. He hadn't pitched in ten days. Um, had a death in the family. But Aaron Boone, what did you see from Frankie Montas? Just having a hard time putting guys away. You know it started right at the right out of the gate. Um, you know, had 0-2-1-2, the Carlson there and hangs a split, base hit, and he's two strikes to to the next guy and hits him, you know, and then and then when he came out there in the second, you know, when they had the big inning, walk, walk, you know, and the walks are something that, that really hurt us today, obviously. Was Montas affected by the last 10 days, Aaron? Yeah, you know, but it also could have been, that's not ideal, you know, we talked about, you know, just his situation, obviously getting traded, dealing with, you know, the family stuff he's had to go through the last few days, definitely not an ideal situation for him, but that said, you know, I think just as easily could have come out and, and dealt, you know, but certainly a tough situation for him, And but he wanted to be out there, he wanted to compete, we felt like he was ready to go, and, you know, got this first one underway, and he's, he's going he's gonna to do big things for us. Now, rightfully so, the Yankees have been the talk of the town this year for how great they started their season. But as Mike pointed out earlier, both teams now have the same exact record. And I'll ask you guys this. You look at the team's same record. Right now, who is the better team in New York? And I think the same answer goes for who has the better chance of winning the World Series. For me, I think it's the Mets. I agree. For a lot of things we've been saying all day. Pitching starts with the pitching, 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 pitching. You feel better about the rotation. You feel better about the back end of the bullpen, especially with the way Clay Holmes is struggling. Mets. Yeah, the only thing I would say that, well, I'm leaning towards the Mets. Again, if healthy, you know, when you think about big, St if. It's big if Stanton, Rizzo, and Judge, that that is put up three other batters against those three. I don't know if there's a better threesome right now in that uh, in all of baseball. And when those guys are rolling, those are. Th 
Like that heart of the lineup to me is going to be the great equalizer for the Yankees. Yeah, I think the only one's probably the new Padres lineup when Tatis comes back. But of course, you don't have to worry about that until you get to the World Series. And I think that's part of the problem. I I say Mets right now as well, but they have a significantly harder road to get to the World Series than the Yankees do because, as you pointed out, Dan, earlier, in my opinion, it's the Astros and everybody else. And that's all they're going to need because the Astros do have the Yankees number. Might be an unpopular opinion. But I'm, I'll, we like those. I'll stick to it anyways, and I, and I believe it to be true. I know that Juan Soto was like the big hype, the the sexy name, if you will. I think the more valuable acquisition to the Padres was the one that they made getting Josh Hader, the closer wow. from Milwaukee. Because, I mean, you know, you want to be able to have an assurance knowing that you know who's getting those last three outs for you at the end of a game. And if you have that offense the way it is, and even if, you know, the bats don't show up one day, you want to shrink the game as much as possible. I don't love the Padres' starting rotation, but Hazer's, Hader has been probably the best closer in baseball for the last, you know, three years. And to have that guy now, they upgraded the back end of the bullpen, did San Diego. I think Hader was a more valuable acquisition. I really believe that. Interesting. No, I, it's, I was pretty Ask amazed. Milwaukee, you know, who, who gave right. him up. Ask the guys in that clubhouse how they feel. I was pretty amazed how they were able to not only get Hader, but then have enough assets to pull off the Soto deal. I know Hader didn't go for a lot of top prospects, but to be able to have that type of depth, and Mike, you know about this, just to have the, the, asset, the valuable assets that a team would want to make two big moves at a deadline, is almost in my in my mind unheard of because no no one's ever traded for a Juan Soto in the middle of the season basically and then you get a closer as well. You know what's ironic about the um the Padres and they had him on the broadcast last night for Sunday Night Baseball. They were interviewing him during the game. Peter Seidler is their owner. Peter Seidler is the is the grandson of Walter O'Malley, who was the former Dodgers owner and of course the guy who around here you know they they don't speak his name very kindly because he moved them from Brooklyn all the way out to California. But Peter Seidler, you know, owns the Padres, is a descendant of the owner of the Dodgers or whatnot, and he's a guy whose team is now chasing the Dodgers as well as every other team in baseball trying to get to where they're at. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So, of course, Yankees out uh, in Seattle tonight taking on the Mariners. Jameson Tyone looking to get... The Yankees back on track. Let's switch over to some football. We talked about it earlier. Jets right tackle Mekhi Becton will have an MRI on his surgically repaired right knee. By the way, that still sounds odd when you said that. Jets right tackle Mekhi Becton. Like, yeah. that still hasn't sunk in yet, you know? Yeah, when you take a guy 11th overall, and and you did a nice job, Dan, summarizing, you know, Jedrick Wills going to Cleveland and Andrew Thomas going to Giants and um, uh, Jedrick uh, – Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs, excuse me. Yeah, going to Tampa Bay. Those guys, especially Wirfs, someone that they passed on, is really playing at a high level. You want your franchise tackle to be on the left side, especially when it's right-handed. Once in a while, like a guy like Tua, who's left-handed, you may flip to the right side. But that's a really good point. Like, Becton, although he's big, he has enough athleticism to be able to play left tackle. Yeah, oh, definitely. So I mean, Mike, he, he, he didn't have any problems his rookie year in 2020 when he was healthy. So you see the right tackle as – 
a, sen- a sense of demotion for Becton. Yeah. Night. Now, if we were this conversation 10 years ago, we would be talking a little bit more about how the left tackle was a little bit more of the pass protector, the right side was a little bit more of the power, strong side running game. But the way the game has evolved where you're throwing it, you know, two out of three plays, it, you should put your best pass protector on the left side. You know, that and, is and, Bart Scott's strong opinion, and you know how how strong Bart Scott's opinions can be. So, and you know those those Cowboys, the Jimmy Johnson Cowboys teams in the '90s, like their offensive line for those championships. Mark Tuinay was the left tackle. The right tackle was Eric Williams. Most people considered Williams to be the better player, and he was on the right side. It's just odd. And you remember the. Um, the controversy involving there you go. Vo, Mike's watching Vogie run the bases yesterday. Daniel Vogelbach got to be a fan favorite. Daniel Vogelbach. Oh, He's huge. Um, remember what Bruce Smith said upon you know Tony Baselli getting inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, over the when that happened. Bruce Smith was kind of like throwing some shade at, at Baselli getting inducted, saying that Mark you know he blocked for Mark Brunel, who was a left-handed quarterback. So Leon Searcy was the guy at right tackle who was protecting his blind side. Basically, I, I don't know like why Bruce Smith woke up, even though he's one of the all-time greats, and decided to like minimize Tony Baselli's induction because most of the presenters, so to speak, that spoke on behalf of Baselli, they always went back to that one playoff game that Jacksonville beat the Bills, where Baselli got the better of Bruce Smith. And Bruce Smith is looking at it as, hey, don't make a guy's entire career one game and so on and so forth. I, I just, I don't know why Bruce wanted to pick up that fight, but whatever. Woke up and chose violence that day. He did. That's what he did. <laughs> well put. Speaking of O-lines, the Giants, I guess, have one. Um, they made a move. Uh, today signing guard Eric Smith. He was a he did play for the Giants back in 2019, um, but unfortunately it was because they had to terminate the contract of tackle uh, Matt Gano. Um, he was put on the exempt list left squad uh, after suffering a possible career-ending neck injury early in camp. That's a pretty sad story. He had neck surgery last year, um, was trying to get back, and was going to be, uh, I believe, the swing tackle for the Giants this year, and his neck started bothering him again. He went to a specialist. Um, to see the severity of it, and in the end, the, the Giants do cut him. Um, but they, they signed somebody, young depth guard in Smith. Um, he played four games. He has four games of NFL experience, two with the Giants, as I said, in 2019. But, you know, this is around that time, Mike, where we see, you know, some cuts, some signings. When injuries happen, you're going to have to add to that depth, and we know the Giants at O-line don't really have a lot of it. So they need to replace players if they do get hurt. Yeah, someone's going to have to step up for them. You know, maybe it's Matt Pert when he comes off of PUP, uh, Jamal Douglas has had good snaps in the league. Max Garcia's played before. Um, but more, more than that, we should be talking about the John Felicianos of the world. You know, can Evan Neal transition? I think Evan Neal's going to be a good player. Andrew Thomas has to keep building on his progress. And that's the foundation for Daniel Jones to be a representative starting quarterback in the league. John Feliciano getting into it in practice today a little bit uh, with his own teammates. Little fisticuffs. Little 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 ferocity there. I don't know if that's what you want as far as camaraderie goes. But How'd you feel about training camp fights, Mike? Did you go down there and go, well, guys, what are we doing? But it was wrecked, so it's kind of hard. Yeah, to t- say. tell us about those Jet Giant uh, scrimmage practices, yeah, Mike. Yeah, remember we, those? We, we we had a bad experience back up at Albany where I felt like it just got out of hand. And you know, to fight, look, you got to be all time tough to be a football player, play at the pro level. You don't have to prove it by getting into a fight and, and trying to hit somebody with with a helmet, like. It's a little bit of a stupidity thing. So um, there's a time and a place to be tough. Getting into a fight isn't isn't that way. You got a breaking news uh, sounder uh, nearby? Not to interrupt ENN, uh, but I no, figure... No, this is, this is what we do. We interrupt ENN. What's the breaking news? Tell me, tell me, tell me. So we were talking about the Jets, the Mekhi Becton situation, Dwayne Brown in town, tackle help potentially. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network reporting, the Jets have signed, not Dwayne Brown, Caleb Beninock 
who's a uh, veteran offensive lineman, plays right guard, plays right tackle, started 16 games for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2018 at right guard, uh, played for the Saints last year uh, as a you know a backup. So Caleb Beninock has been signed to some insurance. Does that tell you perhaps that maybe the Dwayne Brown asking price was a little too high than they wanted to pay? Or uh, you what know, can you read it- into that? Probably not much. I mean, it's probably a non-guaranteed veteran contract, so still gives them a lot of flexibility. Benenox play in the league. Uh, veteran guy knows what to do, could play more than one position, but um, that wouldn't take him out of the Dwayne Brown sweepstakes by any stretch. And you hope you don't have to go into those waters. But, yeah, another depth piece that they have, uh, flexibility, play inside, play outside. So Caleb Benenock. Don't know if he'll be featured on the pregame show Friday, Anthony. But, I think uh, I think he should be. I think that's your interview. Did you, you happen to notice the way Robert Sala was talking about Dwayne Brown in that cut that we played earlier, when he talked about does the Becton injury scare mean you need to sign an O-lineman, it almost, to me, sounded like Brown was signed, sealed, delivered. I don't know about that. I think we do really like our, our backup situation. I know McDermott's hurt. He'll be back. He's, he'll be fine. He started games for us. Chuma started games for us. Getting a guy like Dwayne Brown is kind of being spoiled in the sense of just having so much great talent, I guess, at, at one position. But we do have faith in our backup offensive linemen. And anytime you get hurt and you've got to test your depth, it does become scary waters. But at the same time, you, that's why we put in all this work and do our best to prepare these guys to be able to take those spots. So it doesn't create panic at all, in my mind anyway. But it's a guy like Dwayne is is bonus, you know. I guess he did say bonus, but it, to me it sounded like not Beninock. I, I want I want Dwayne Brown. Yeah, I think that this is probably something that just kind of maybe um, popped up on the radar. I mean, Dwayne Brown, the thing is he's almost a luxury to have sitting on the sidelines. Right. He would have to, he would, he should be playing. Right. And, and I'm sure that Dwayne Brown probably looks at it as, you know what, there's going to be some team out there, even though they haven't called already. That's going to have an injury. That's probably going to have a need at that position, and they're going to pay me probably what a starting tackle would. I mean, the Jets can't pay Dwayne Brown as a starting tackle if he's not going to be one. And I guess they're waiting to see what the Becton fallout is going to be. Yeah, here. but if I'm Dwayne Brown, I'm not coming in not to start. So right. that's why I'm sure there's a little bit of like a little back and forth right now. Like you want me, I want you, but like I'm not coming in here to sit behind a guy that you're disappointed. Hundred percent, as he should. You know, and I, like you said, he's what 37, 38 years of age. He could still start in the league. We know that. And, you know, it's, it's no different than any player right now who or a t- you know, let's say a backup quarterback or a guy who thinks, you know, he wants to start, he wants to play. You sit and you wait around and, and you know that injuries are going to take place in the NFL and some team might be more desperate in a couple of weeks and then they are going to meet whatever asking price that you have. See, now now the shoe's on the other foot. I see the clock. I see that we're going we're over a little bit. We're way past the clock I, time. I know, Don. I know. Okay. So <laughs> let's just get through a couple more stories here, and, and we will and we will move on from ENN. So, uh, Dan, you, hint that you mentioned it a little earlier. Um, the Hall of Fame inductions were in Canton this weekend. Let's just go through uh, the names. Tony Baselli, Cliff Branch, Leroy Butler, Art McNally, Sam Mills, Richard Seymour, Dick Vermeil. Uh, Bryant Young. Um, we have a couple cuts here. I'll, I'll play some of the ones that I that I thought were pretty funny. Uh, Leroy Butler on what happens when you make the Hall of Fame. When you play for the Green Bay Packers, a lot of doors open up. When you win a Super Bowl, all doors open up. But when you make the Hall of Fame, football heaven opens up. Leroy Butler, one of those guys that fell between the cracks as well, Mike. Uh, I mean, I, look, whenever you talk about a guy for a Hall of Fame, you want sustained excellence, right, at the highest level. Like, he needs to do it for at least a, a period of time. 
Leroy Butler was on the all-decade team of the 1990s. To me, if you're good enough to be on the all-decade team, right, for the entire NFL, for an entire 10-year period, I, I think that warrants some pretty good consideration. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a little bit of a throwback, you know, quote-unquote, you know, a very physical safety. wasn't as good in space, but he was a great player. Um, he, he, he definitely deserved to be in. Uh, but I don't see him as a better football player than Joe Klecko. So if Leroy Butler should be in, so so should Joe Klecko. True, I agree. We 100%. could be we could be the Joe. We could get the let Joe Klecko get into the Hall of Fame show. We could do that. I mean, we we, we should do that. I, and, I, I don't see why not. And I, and I think it's happening already. Uh, Tony Baselli thanking one of his coaches during his speech, as they mostly do. Tom, you were a pain to play for at times, though. You were hard. You had high standards, a bunch of silly rules I never agreed with. You were difficult to play for, but you know what? I always respected you, and you made us winners. And I'm more grateful for you, Coach, with every passing year. And, Tom, you and your family will always mean the world to Angie and I. Thank you, Coach. Notice I didn't have to say the name because anybody who's been around in New York knows the hard-nosed coach named Tom is Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, eventually you think he will get in the Hall of Fame, but he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, and I, I, I give credit to – I don't see the – see, I'm a little inside radio. I don't see the cut up here on the screen, so you're not going to play any Dick Vermeil, right, Anthony? That wasn't Lift it up and show it to me. Uh, I don't – I didn't see any in the system. Perfect. So, like, Dick Vermeil and, – and Dick Vermeil was a guy that I said, you know, I was a little questioned as to why he's in the Hall of Fame. I think, like, we're just kind of letting anybody in if we let guys like that in. But wow. he made the point that – you know, there are other coaches, Tom Coughlin, Marty Schottenheimer, Dan Reeves, um, Mike Shanahan, for example, with two Super Bowls. Other coaches not in the Hall of Fame should be in the Hall of Fame. I'll tell you guys a really cool story. Um, the day Coach Parcells retired at the Jets, I was in his office, and he called uh, Woody Johnson to let him know his decision. I think it was either, like, the second or third call was to Mike Shanahan and said, hey, just want you to know, like, you were the best coach I ever won against. Really? Trip to the Super Bowl in '98. That That's was what awesome. stood between yeah. them way. Yeah, he said, "Man, I have a lot of respect for you. You're you're really? a great coach, and I just want you to know that." It's amazing. I guess maybe it was the I, I guess it was the the tenure in Washington with you know the 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 star kind of just seemed like it diminished off Mike Shannon. I mean, the guy coached a dynasty. You know, you win back-to-back Super Bowls in Denver. I mean, that that's usually good enough to get you into the Hall of Fame. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know what it is. I don't know why he's kind of just, I, like, slipped between the cracks. Yeah, I've gotten to know Mike. Not, we're not close by any stretch, but I've gotten to know him a little bit. And, you know, there's just some people, like, when you're around them, they just, like, ooze intelligence and insight and wisdom, and he's one of those guys. But Coughlin, I mean, let's. I mean, when the Jaguars – forget what he did with the Giants and winning the two Super Bowls. That cements it, but – Jaguars, they never got to a Super Bowl near him, but he built that franchise from the ground up. And that was when it was difficult to win with an expansion team. Not like now where, you know, you got ones that go to the finals in their first year like the Golden Knights. But he built that thing from the ground up, and then in a few years they were already a playoff team and a legit contender. Let's end, Ian, and with some life lessons from Bryant Young. I'll close with some lessons I've learned along the way. From my pain, I found purpose. Letting someone grab my hand is as important as reaching for theirs. In an isolated world, personal connections matter more than ever. I keep my gaze on Christ and pour myself into good works, including the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. And I've learned to trust God's plan and timing, not mine. That will do it for ENN on this Monday evening. Tremendous job. An Anthony Pusick edition of ENN. 
Thanks for listening to the Michael K. Show podcast. Hear more of Michael, Don, and Peter live weekday afternoons starting at 3 on 98.7 ESPN in New York. The ESPN app, the TuneIn app, or on your smart speaker. Hey, Alexa, play 98.7 ESPN.